This sicha is truly a classic, one of those that totally redefines how we're supposed to read the world we're living in and the experience of emerging technologies and how it is all absolutely the unfolding of the coming of Moshiach. In relation to the Pasuk that says in the 600th year of Noyach's life, in this week's parasha, obviously, all of the subterranean wellsprings burst forward, and the windows of heaven opened. So the Zohar comments as follows, that there's actually a prediction in that. Bear in mind that the Zohar was written close to 2,000 years ago. So the Zohar says, of in the 6th century of the 6th millennium, the doorways of, of supernal wisdom will open up, and the fountains of wisdom below. In other words, there will be this flood of wisdom, both spiritual and, as we'll see, material wisdom. And that will prepare the world to enter the 7th millennium, which is the Messianic Age. Translation into Hebrew. So there's this surge of wisdom, both from on high and from below, to prepare us to enter into the Messianic Age. So now we have to understand, what is this wisdom? So the interpretation of these two things is, the, the doorways of upper wisdom and the fountains of lower wisdom, which are both obviously alluded to in the Pasuk, because the Pasuk made reference to rain from above and wellsprings from below. First it spoke about the wellsprings of the great depths that, so to speak, broke their, their banks. That's what the Zohar calls the subterranean fountains. And the, the Torah speaks about the windows of opening, the windows of heaven opening, and that is what the Zohar refers to as the doorways of upper wisdom. So, what are these two types of wisdom? When we talk about supernal or upper or greater wisdom, we're talking about the Torah's wisdom. And when we speak about lower wisdom, we're talking about wisdom that is associated with and derived from the world that we live in. And guess what? Exactly as the Zoyar predicted, we see that in the time of the 6th century, of the 6th millennium, on the Jewish calendar, that's a time of an explosion of wisdom of Torah, specifically the revelation of the deeper, more esoteric parts of Torah. Here are a couple of examples. It's well known that the third Rebbe, the Tzemach Tzedek, commented that there was an ancient prediction that there was a kate, a deadline for Mashiach to arrive by the year Tofresh Ches, 1848. So the Tzemach Tzedek says it happened. How did it happen? Because the Kutatoria, which is these esoteric discourses on the parish of the week, was published. What's the connection? Because one of the great things that will occur when Moshiach comes is the world will be filled with knowledge of God. And the Kutat Torah, as all parts of Hasidus, are works about the knowledge of God. And some, what's it, 11, 12 years earlier, 11 years earlier, the Torah, which was the first part of these discourses on the parasha, was printed. 
Specifically, when the access to esoteric teachings within Torah should be in this particular way, meaning that it's freely available and well explained, then we kind of derive, uh, so to speak, our well-being or our, our, our sustenance from these teachings. And the wellsprings of the Baal Shem Tov will be spread far throughout the world. And that's also something that happened around about this time. In other words, one of the greatest signs of living in the Messianic age is wholesale access to clearly defined teachings of the spiritual secrets of Torah. That started with the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov was told by Mashiach himself that when his teachings would spread all over, that would open the path for Mashiach to come. And these books are examples of books that do exactly that. So that is a time of this explosion of knowledge from on high, as the Zoyar predicted. And of course, at the same time it was happening in the world is a, an explosion of knowledge about the world, about the sciences, the industrial revolution, the technological age, etc. Things that we now take for granted that were very revolutionary in those years. So we need to understand it's a beautiful concept and you can track it historically, but does it really make sense to us? In other words, what's the connection, for example, between science and technology and Moshiach? If you want to tell me that an explosion of wisdom about the secrets and esoteric teachings of Torah is a preparation for Moshiach, that makes sense. Because after all, what's going to happen when Moshiach comes, as the Novi Yeshaya tells us? The world will be completely flooded with knowledge of Hashem, not knowledge of details within Torah, Gemara, Halacha, but knowledge of Hashem, which is expressed through the esoteric parts of Torah. It's just logical and appropriate that in the run-up to that period of time, as a preparation for it, it only makes sense that we should start to have access to a taste of what the Torah of Mashiach is going to be about. And that's what Chassidus does for us. It gives us a taste of understanding things about God. But what on earth is the connection between an explosion of knowledge of science and technology, etc., to the coming of Mashiach? It doesn't seem to have anything to do with it. More than that. The fact that the Zohar puts the two principles, an explosion of esoteric Torah and of worldly wisdom, into the same discussion, same sentence, that tells us immediately that there is a very meaningful and deep connection between the two kinds of wisdom and how they both prepare us for Mashiach. Which would mean this, the fact that at a certain period in time, in the 17th century, there was suddenly this explosion of wisdom about esoteric Judaism, understanding God, and that was a preparation for Mashiach. That has a direct impact that the world should also gain an explosion of new knowledge. Nothing happens in the physical realm unless it is instigated in the spiritual realm. So the fact that they opened the floodgates of spiritual wisdom had a direct impact on the opening of the floodgates of wisdom of this world. So if that's the case with Tzorich Lahoven, we need to understand what is in fact the connection between esoteric wisdom and worldly wisdom. 
Surely, the wisdom of this physical earth and the universe we live in is far, far inferior in quality to the wisdom of Torah, especially the esoteric parts of Torah. So how does it connect? What's, what's the one got to do with the other and how are they both related to the bringing of or preparing for Mashiach? So to understand this, we first have to create a broader context about how Jews see the world generally, and then we can come back to the specific. So ha'olam koloi, al kol boy, the entire world and everything within it, nivra bishvil Torah or bishvil Yisrael, was created for the purpose of the Torah and the Jewish people who would fulfill the Torah. Ve'chol ma'ashevor ha'kadosh baruch ba'ilomoi, lo'i bera'oi ela lichvoida, like the Mishnah says in Pirkei Ovis, that everything that Hashem created in the world, He created for His glory, for His honor. Umizem muvon, which means, as an axiom of Judaism, that immediately sets the stage for us. Every single thing that exists reaches its fullest potential when we, the Jewish nation, use it to serve Hashem. Everything was created for that purpose. So if that applies, for example, to the piece of leather that you use to make a perfect filling, or if that applies to the coin that you give to tzedakah, it equally applies to the wisdom of science as it becomes more apparent in this period. Why is there development? Why is there breakthrough in science and technology, etc.? It's in order that, as the Altarebbe says in Tanya, It's in order that we could use these principles, this knowledge, to serve Hashem or to better understand His Torah. I, not everybody can really do this. Not everybody is in a position, an intellectual position, that you could take, for example, science and technology and automatically assign it a value of Torah. In fact, Al Trebbe says this in that same chapter 8 in Tanya. He says, That this was the reason some of our greatest medieval Rishonim scholars, they engaged in the sciences because they were at the level that they could use it to serve as Torah. Which implies that it's only an elite group of people who actually know how to do this, how to use the information within worldly knowledge in order to further the means of Torah. If you're not at that level, there's always a danger that a person could actually become entrapped in the thinking of the scientific or the worldly wisdom, and it could literally imprison the seichel, the wisdom of your godly soul. Okay, but we won't focus mainly on that. We'll focus on the principle. What's the principle? Is that every single thing that exists in, the, in this world reaches its ultimate potential when we use it to serve Hashem. So now, once we're talking about wisdom, and we understand that there is wisdom within Torah, and then there is wisdom within the world, and we're supposed to use the wisdom of the world in order to facilitate and further the goals and purpose of Torah, there's a very important disclaimer that we have to make. So therefore, here comes the caveat. The Rebbe says it shouldn't even need to be said. The principle we're discussing over here, that the Rambam and the Ramban were able to use wisdom of the world in order to serve as 
Torah or that the explosion of knowledge of science is in order to bring us closer to Moshiach, that has nothing to do with the question of whether or not a Jewish person should attend a college. Because unfortunately, to be in the college university headspace is a dangerous place for a Jewish person. And danger is something that always takes priority even over what is forbidden by the Torah. Because unfortunately, the prevalent attitudes that float around and that affect and guide the thinking, the narrative of modern university campuses, unfortunately, is under, underpinned by a denial of the fact that God runs the world. It's based on a, a philosophy that says there is nature and nature cannot change in any way and you have to accept and there's no such thing as miracles, no such, such thing as prayer, etc., and this is taken as such an axiom that it's not even debated and nobody feels the need to prove it. This is the fact. The world is whatever can be proven in a laboratory. And you don't even have to discuss it because it's, it's absolutely accepted. Now, for a Jewish person to be in such an environment is unhealthy because our underpinning of, of our whole faith is the fact that nature is in Hashem's hands and we have the power to change through prayer, through mitzvahs, etc. Unfortunately, also, it's a tremendous amount of education on the campuses that is associated with pagan beliefs or at least foreign religious beliefs. So it's not a healthy place for a Jewish person to be. Besides that, over Rubem Kechulam, the vast majority of our university campuses, the concept of personal modesty is almost destroyed. To the extent that people make fun of those who still want to be a little bit uh, reserved, a little bit within the parameters of healthy conduct, of healthy personal exposure. And unfortunately, the prevalent attitude on university campuses is that the wilder a person could be in their relationships, in their behavior, in personal exposure, in their experimentation, the more it is lauded by the campuses. And the Rebbe says, we don't even have to discuss this. It happens on the campuses. It happens when they go on excursions. It's as if all the rules of moral conduct are trampled upon. It's not something we should focus on because it's something that is so overwhelmingly negative and it's something that's almost frightening in a sense. So people will say, listen, you're right, that's what's happening on the campuses, but I'm a strong individual and I come from a strong family with good morals and values, and I won't be swept by the currents of the university. So there's a very simple and well-known response to that. That even a tzaddik who is a perfect tzaddik and has been such for 120 years, it's now his last day on earth, 
What does that tzaddik have to say by Jewish law every morning? Every morning, even before the formal prayers, please do not put me into a position where my morals and values are tested. That's a tzaddik. Now, what do we think is going to happen to youth on university campuses? Something that deserves a lot more attention, but it's not the particular focus of the sicha. Because the Rebbe mentioned the value that we'll get out of the sciences and out of technology for the purpose of preparing for Mashiach, he needed to clarify that therefore that is not now the green light, that we should just embrace the campus philosophy and the campus life, which unfortunately is mostly antithetical to Judaism. Okay, back to our point. So how can science and understanding of the world draw us closer to and prepare us for Mashiach? The fact that the Zohar made a direct link between the increase in knowledge about the world and preparing for the seventh millennium of Mashiach. You can understand from that we should then be looking for things that the new scientific knowledge will do for us that show us how we prepare for a totally different world, the world of Mashiach. What's a totally different world of Mashiach? So he's going to use one example. The Rebbe will use one example over here, but the implication obviously is that it's not about the single example. It's to help us understand how to view the world. One of the landmark changes that will happen when Mashiach comes is the promise that Hashem will be revealed in the world to the extent that the physical body can detect Hashem and see Hashem's mouth speaking. So previously we quoted the, the prophet Yeshaya that says the world will be covered with knowledge of Hashem. But now we're getting into greater detail. Not only how much knowledge will there be, but how we will experience and access that knowledge. It will be knowledge that we'll see with our eyes, and not only with our eyes, but that the physical flesh will see godliness. That means to say, If a person is able to imagine, to visualize in their mind a principle that will always make it a lot more real to them than if they just understand it almost like second hand. But when Mashiach comes, not only will you understand things with a clarity of visualization, but the Mithil Rebbe goes into great detail to explain to us what's going to happen when Mashiach comes, you'll see with your physical eyes. So right now, principles of God we learn about in a book, and it's quite foreign to us. Certain individuals are able to have a vivid picture in their mind's eye of what godliness is. When Mashiach comes, you'll actually see it with your eyes in the same way as you could look outside right now and see its data. Not only that. The fact that the Pasuk says all flesh will see, rather than saying all physical eyes will see, like we say in Davening, that our eyes should see the return of Hashem to the Beis Hamikdash. Mashma then implies shaloyrak ein hagashmi and agam abosar hagashmi go for yirav yakir kipi Hashem diber. That not only will your eyes see Godliness, but your entire body will see Godliness, which is a fascinating principle. And there is scientific development in today's world to assist people who are physically blind to create impulses to the brain that other parts of the body could see, which may in fact align with what we're talking about over here, at least to give us a sense of what it is. 
This is where you start to see the link between the development of scientific knowledge and entering the Messianic Age. Because when we know how to use that scientific and technological advancement in order to serve Hashem, so here, that helps to prepare us to start to see Hashem with every part of our being. That we can actually have a real, meaningful experience, personal, first-hand experience of godliness. So we're going to use an example. Again, the Rebbe says it's an example. This Sikha is in the 60s. Subsequently, there are many, many more examples that we should extrapolate from the Rebbe's example here. Dugmanadavar, he has the example. So there's a particular force of nature that's been part of the world since creation, but people only discovered it recently. And it's only developed in recent times. The ability that I could speak over here, and as I speak live, somebody else could hear my voice at a great distance away. Even on the other end of the world, or they could even be on the moon, and I'm talking here on earth. How? Telephone, or you say, radio. Okay, so those are the, the technologies that developed. You can make a phone call overseas or radio, the radio communication. Remember, this is in the 60s where you could be on Earth and speak to astronauts on the moon. Huge, huge innovation at the time. And even more recently, not only radio technology, but the ability that you could see, that you could see a person in real time. Now, of course, there was talking over there about television. Bear in mind today where we have the high-speed connectivity of the Internet, it only takes this concept to a whole different level. This new innovation in the world. That I could be in one part of the world and literally hear every expression, every breath, murmur that comes from a person far, far away and I'm hearing it in real time. Wherever I might be. And I could see the person. This helps us to understand a principle that was taught in the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, that there is an eye that sees everything we do and an ear that hears everything that happens. Think about it. It's not only is it the same, it's way beyond. If a human ear here in the physical world can immediately hear a sound from far away, and likewise, the human eye, through the development of another technology that is embedded within the natural order, can now see us, can see and hear what's happening on the other side of the world. So that's the human experience. How much more so then must this apply to the divine eye and the divine ear? As the Pasuk says, can he who created the ears not hear and he who created eyes not see? In other words, whatever we can see and hear with the aid of technology, Hashem, is infinitely more so. There is absolutely no restriction on where, what distance or how quickly Hashem can see and hear. 
Therefore, whatever you do, even in the most secret location, instantaneously as you do it, Hashem immediately sees and records it. Now, a hundred years before, five hundred years before, a millennium ago, nobody could understand how this was actually possible. It's a nice principle, you know, Hashem sees and hears. The Rebbe is illustrating to us, you see what happens over here? Technology helps us to appreciate values of the Torah, principles of the Torah in real time. It's suddenly so clear to us. Therefore, now that I have an example that is so tangible, when I then have to meditate on the principle that Hashem always stands in my presence and always watches me and always analyzes my inner workings to know if I'm serving Him correctly it's not gonna, it will no longer be like a theoretical principle as long as you think about concepts as theoretical they don't really impact your life in a very deep personal way but now I think, wow, it's like my room's been tapped. It's like I'm on CCTV. It's like they're tracking my phone. It's suddenly so much more real to me, which means it's going to impact me in a very personal way. So obviously this is going to influence my feelings and attitudes in a much more profound way, which will translate into how I think and what I say and what I do. So there's a great example of the development of technology aiding the tangibility of Torah concepts. Now, uh, we, we, even though we mentioned earlier that every single thing that exists in the world is for the purpose of Torah and, Jew, and the Jewish nation, in, in spite of that, we find that the Chazal highlighted certain things. In which they emphasize, certain examples that Chazal said, this particular material, the whole world mis- misunderstands it. The whole world gets it wrong. They think this material is for a particular purpose, and actually it's for a different purpose. So we're going to use a, a, a beautiful example gold. Medrash tells us that the world does not deserve gold. It's too precious. It's too beautiful. The world doesn't deserve it. Ah, so why did Hashem create gold? The entire purpose of the creation of gold was to facilitate the Mishkan in its time and the Beis HaMikdash. So wood maybe has a value and you could also use it to serve Torah and Mitzvahs. Gold is an example of something which stands out of the ordinary. Its only value is the fact that it should be used for something to serve Hashem. So let's distinguish now between something like gold, that's an example, which its entire purpose is to serve Hashem, versus everything else that is used to serve Hashem. Every other thing that exists, although its ultimate purpose is to serve as Torah and the Jewish people. They could still be used for other things. So the wood of the bookshelf, it's great, it's a bookshelf holding Svarim. So it's fulfilling its ultimate purpose. If the same bookshelf was carrying secular books, it would still fulfill a purpose. It wouldn't be rebelling against God. It wouldn't be antithetical to what Hashem means for the world. In fact, you could use it 
for something neutral, and then subsequently use it to serve Hashem. But then you get these radical examples, like gold, where the Chazal tell us gold should not be part of our world except that it, it has a place in the base Amikdash. In other words, the sages are telling us that when you take gold and you use it for anything else other than to serve Hashem, you have degraded gold from its purpose. If I take wood and I use it for an ordinary bookshelf, I haven't degraded it, just haven't taken it to its ultimate. If I use gold for something personal, I've degraded its quality. Because the entire purpose of gold from start to finish is only to facilitate the Mishkan and the Beis HaMikdash. But because Hashem needed us to have free choice, Therefore, to facilitate free choice, Hashem created the possibility that you could use gold for other things besides the base Amikdash. But what is gold intended for solely to serve Hashem? The same applies in our situation, the examples that the Rebbe is using here. The fact that the Zohar makes this very strange link, that there is wisdom in the world, which is equal to the wisdom of Torah in order to get us to Moshiach, that proves, that proves that the Zohar is teaching us that the entire purpose of scientific and technological development the entire purpose of this scientific and technological development is to prepare the world for Mashiach. Ah, you could use it to create the internet or autonomous cars or space travel. That's all very nice. That's in order to facilitate the possibility of Bechir HaChavshis. But we as Jewish people, we're supposed to look at the scientific developments that have revolutionized our world in the last 200 odd years and seen that only one thing, this is a Mashiach world developing. This is preparing us for Mashiach. The very fact that we could take out of the, the, the wisdom of this world benefit to serve Hashem, <coughs> the fact that we could use them to serve Hashem is not yet good enough. As long as I look at the world and say, great, we have something now called the internet. So you could use the internet to download Wikipedia information, and I'll use the internet to share a share. Okay, great. So the internet has a utilitarian purpose, and it also has a spiritual purpose. Not good enough. We're supposed to look at it and say, why was an internet created? Only to facilitate spreading the wisdom of Hashem. The truest purpose behind all of this technological development is solely to use them for Torah and mitzvahs. But yes, Salkein, more than that. The fact that the Zohar specifies that the development of science dovetails the development of the esoteric parts of Torah, 
צריך לומר שאיקרא מכוון וכך הוא ניצולון ליזגלוס והפוצס פנימיוס התורה. That must tell us that the absolute focus we're supposed to have is whatever technology develops has to solely be used to share פנימיוס התורה. So, תוכן החידוש של ימי סמשיח הוא כמבור לעיל בשני עניונים. We already identified earlier that the major revolution that will happen in the Messianic age is essentially two things. Number one, absolute inundation with wisdom of God, knowledge of Hashem, that becomes the reality of the world. And secondly, our experience and processing of that divine awareness will be absolutely tangible, like something that you see and experience firsthand in the physical. So these two factors must play out the absolute spread and the accessibility and tangibility of the experience They must both play out in our way of sharing Hasidus all over. Because Hasidus, as we explained, as we explained, is the foretaste of the wisdom of Mashiach. We want to affect that the way we share Hasidus is aligned with the two experiences that will happen of knowledge of Hashem when Mashiach comes. Moloha Oretz Goimer. Everywhere, totally accessible. So here's an example. Let's say you use the radio to share, give shiurim on the radio. And of course, this is all exponentially so in the age of the internet. Straight away, you can identify the two things. Number one, the access. I hear the shear in real time. As the person who's speaking on the radio, so I'm hearing the shear. Number two, it doesn't matter where I am. So you've got the two elements, right? The rob kobosa yachtov, my personal experience, and malhar, it's everywhere. But it's more than that. When we share words of, of chassidus over the radio, It impacts the entire world, not only the listeners. So let's say right here, I have a radio and it's tuned into the right station. So then I'll hear the voice teaching Hasidus. But next door, somebody doesn't have a radio. All their radio is tuned into a different station. Doesn't matter. The Hasidus is in that house as well. Because the radio waves transmitting this information are ubiquitous. They're everywhere. The receiver of the radio doesn't make the sound. It captures the sound and translates it back from radio waves into sound. But the fact is that the radio waves are everywhere. So now, if I use this new technology in order to spread Hasidus, 
Yeshno me ain, I'm going to have the taste of both the key elements of the messianic age. Aleph Molo Horez Des Hashem Goimer. Liloishamakbalis Bechomokoim Umokim. I have the capacity to spread the wisdom of Hashem everywhere because those radio waves are everywhere, obviously within range of the radio. That's the greatness of today's world where everything's going via satellite, so it's traveling literally all over the place. Anywhere in the world you could key in and pick it up. In a very tangible, personally accessible way, I'm hearing it with my ears at the same time the person is saying it. So that's a great example of how the explosion of scientific knowledge facilitates the spreading of the explosion of Torah knowledge, specifically Pneumia Satora, and how that is already a taste of Moshiach. And that's its entire purpose. Thing is that at this point we're still using the technology as the means to an end. In Yeshua Torah Mitzvah, the end being the purpose of Torah Mitzvah. I'm going to now spread Torah Mitzvah. But when you analyze the technology of radio or of internet, you don't automatically see within the technology itself the expression of Kedusha. So the ultimate, ultimate state would be when you can see in the science or in the technology, you could see the Kedusha of Torah. And for that, we'll need a second example, an amazing example, which again, the Rebbe is talking in the 60s, and you could say that today's science takes this idea far further. A key area where you'll see this principle that the Torah value or the premius Torah is embedded within the wisdom that the, the world is now teaching us is as follows. The core product of premius Torah is to illustrate that everything in the world that appears to be so diverse is actually one simple unity called God. In spite of the fact that there are so many diverse creations, the, all the diversity of creation in no way contradicts the fundamental Hashem Echod. It's explained in various places in Hasidus that actually, the only way you could have such diversity would require a fundamental unity. Otherwise, the diversity would all fall apart. In other words, if you have a look at the world, there's all diversity that has to work together. There are ecosystems. All of that being evidence to the fact that there's an underlying unity that holds it all together. Take it even deeper than that. Only the fact that there's a single unity, a single essence, a single God can allow the possibility of such diversity. Because if it wasn't a real unity, it could never tolerate diversity. Okay, subjects discussed in various places in Hasidus. But the Nakuda is, the point is, that the goal of Hasidus is to get us past the superficial diversity of the world to discover the fundamental unity of the world. Because the absolute truth of the world is a singular unity called God, you have to be able to detect that absolute unity within the world. You have to be able to find that the whole of the world is a singular reality. 
ועניין זה, האחדס שישנה בעולם. So this concept of this fundamental unity in the world should be primusi achtas apshuta delikus, which really is the absolute oneness of God hiding behind the veneer of science. is becoming more and more apparent as science develops. Historically, scientists of the time always would believe that they are independent natural forces and each one is completely independent of the other. Fire and water are at loggerheads. As an example, And they were convinced that every single thing that exists is comprised of multiple diverse elements. And the periodic table was a big deal in science. That was kind of the defining concept of what everything is built out of. But now as science develops, We become more and more convinced that all of the diversity is only superficial. Go down to the molecular level and you discover that everything is made of the same stuff. The whole way that every part of existence is comprised, how each part of existence has its limits, has its way of expansion and, 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 and um, reproduction. And we go from this concept of periodic table of elements with, with over a hundred elements, You go down at like Korosh and a Kudus and Tzir Shalom and Medes Salichot Shoshnei Yohin Yonim Kamas Veichos Choyim and Oisay Hakoyach Veakoyach until eventually you drill everything down and you say, you know what? Everything is just energy and matter. That which defines quantity and that which defines quality. Energy and matter—that's the underpinning of everything. Achtus Apshute Yeshem Melikus Mitzad Melikus. Real, real unity is obviously godly. The fact that everything could be one. That's why the minute you step into the created reality, the base of Beratius, it's more difficult to see everything as a single reality. So you see two things, but still, it's an element of achtos, of unity. All that diversity boils down to two things, energy and matter. And therein lies this clear connection between the explosion of scientific knowledge and the preparation of Pneumius Atera for Moshiach. As we said right at the beginning, it's the explosion of the wisdom of Pneumia Satera that had a direct influence on the world that there should be an explosion of scientific knowledge. Because as we identified, Pneumia Satera begins the process of giving us a taste of Moshiach's Torah. Which will truly reveal absolute oneness of Hashem throughout the entire world. And Hasidus presents it to us in a way that is also a taste of this real, personalized, tangible access to this information, as if you see it with your own body, not just through your eyes. Which would be an indicator that the world has become the most suitable place to accommodate. Uh, revelation of God to the point that in the world itself you can see that oneness which we uh, we see through the development of science 
And then you realize, once you have the benefit of with the assistance of the development of science, then you come to realize and appreciate it that all of the unifying factors that we're starting to see emerging in our understanding of creation is nothing other than an expression of the fact that Hashem is one, which is literally emerging to the surface of our experience here on earth. And that is the ultimate preparation to take us directly into the seventh millennium, into the time of Moshiach. May it happen speedily. It's an incredibly landmark sicha. We have to reflect on our world some decades later and see how much more science has moved in this direction.